Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Oh Behave with the Bearded Behaviorist. Here we consider, discuss, and learn about behavior and the behavior sciences. Here is your host, Brian Middleton. Hello and welcome to Obehave, a podcast about applied behavior analysis and related behavior sciences. Uh, I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. Uh, today, I have um, as my guest, Jane Logvanova, uh, co-founder of ABA Desk. Uh, she is also a working BCBA in Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Jane. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. I'm really excited to have you on. I'm excited uh, to be here. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like doing like a little happy dance right now because <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be fun. Definitely. So today's topic for the uh, podcast is going to be um, the six attitudes of uh, attitudes or philosophy. Phil, sorry, let me try, start that over, folks. Uh, the six attitudes of science and the philosophical assumptions related to that. Um, and then if we have time, we're going to cover the seven dimensions of applied behavior analysis as well. Um, this is really important. Uh, we're using task list five uh, to uh, shape this podcast and, and put it in the direction that we're going. Um, and in task list five, the reason why we chose that is because um, that philosophical underpinning of behavior analysis is, is really important. Like, I can't emphasize how important it is because by understanding the philosophical underpinnings, um, it makes it a lot easier to understand why we do what we do. Um, and uh, also may help understand um, the limitations of behavior analysis because there are limitations. Um, there are also some fantastic advantages compared to some other approaches, um, but they all have to come back to those attitudes and those dimensions of behavior analysis. Um, but before we get started, Jane, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? About me? Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> or, or, or your project. Yeah, no, or is all of for you? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I don't know. I'm a BCBA based out of Denver. I've been working in the field since 2012, I think. Um, what else? I have ADHD, so that's going to make today's podcast really interesting. So if I get a little squirrely, just kind of reel me back in um, and I will try my best. To, to kind of sit in place. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about ABA Desk? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. So ABA Desk is data collection software. I guess we didn't say that before. Um, so it's not just like a little desk made out of 
Cooper books or anything like that. That would be cool though. Um, although I'd feel really bad that I can't open those books because they're on a the table. Anyway, so um, ABA Best Desk is um, really easy to use data collection software. Um, it actually started off as just kind of a project for fun with my boyfriend. Um, so he decided that we should kind of like do something together. And he's like, hey, Jane, you should learn how to code. Um, so that kind of snowballed into what it is today. Um, but basically it's just something that's, you know, really easy to, um, to set up and go, um, pretty much it just kind of helps you, um, to kind of focus on what's important. So it deals with all of the stuff that we can automate. So, you know, graphing, you know, progression through, you know, phases, you know, chaining, um, you know, updating goals automatically. So um, you can focus on changing lives, essentially, and also having a life. I think that's really important. That's something that's kind of hard to to achieve in our field is that work-life balance. So any little bit helps. Um, and I think most importantly, um, you know, we did price it in a way that even if you're a sole provider or a teacher, um, you can afford it. So data collection software, I don't think should be a luxury item like there's so much that we do in this field that we don't even get paid for so i think this is one of those things that we should just kind of have and i i especially love that you mentioned that it's 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 um accessible to teachers because i came across aba desk uh when i was a special ed teacher uh and i've had an opportunity to play around the software you you sent me a a little uh, tester license to, to to try it out uh i'm no longer a special ed teacher so that that part i didn't have a, a ton of use for because I, I finished up that profession and moved on to becoming mm -hmm. uh, and literally moved to Colorado. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm living in this Colorado Springs now and I, I'm loving it here. Uh, although I do miss my kids, uh, but I've got more kids to play with and, and hang out with and have fun. And frankly, being a, being a behavior analyst is, is um, so many parts fun. Like it's just a lot of, it's a lot of, People like to think that we do a lot more than we do. And in some ways we do do all that, like with the data collection and that sort of thing. Do like 10 times. I think that about um, kind of <laughs> says a lot about how much we do. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, like I also make sure that I find the time uh, to, to work directly with my kiddos and um, interact with them and the, that positive relationship, which, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead. That's called pairing. Uh, we'll get yes. that in a later episode, but that positive relationship is crucial. And uh, just because behavior analysis has a, a special little name for it doesn't change the fact that that is how behavior works. That's how we work together. That's how we're pro-social social beings that need to interact with each other. Um, and so I love that part of it. And uh, that's the main reason why I became a special ed teacher and why I'm behavior now but this isn't about me so moving along <laughs> uh, but the the point that i i make with that is that aba desk um is fantastic software i've had opportunity to use it um and i like how responsive you are to your um the folks who are asking for additional things being added supports that sort of thing um thank you also love your blog posts um 
you have they're mostly doodles honestly but, if we're gonna be real about it they're mostly doodles that i come up with in session and i'm like oh somebody could benefit from this i'm gonna take a picture and post it <laughs> that's the way to do it in fact uh, where would they go to look at your blog po blog posts um, it's just blog.abadesk.com, or you could just go to abadesk.com and hit the blog link either way. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into the six attitudes and philosophies of science. Let's do it. Um, I think up for number one, unless you have a different order on your list, is uh, determinism. I also have determinism as my first one. Fantastic. So um, could you tell us a little bit about determinism from in, from your words, your perspective? Um, I would say that um, by determinism, it means that things don't just happen. They don't happen because of fate or randomness or superstition. There are kind of contingencies um, that lead to things happening, whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, a behavior or... I don't know, a tree falling. You know what I mean? There's always something involved in it. Things don't just randomly happen. It's not witchcraft. So it's, it's um, cause and effect. Basically, yeah, cause and effect. Exactly. And yeah, nothing kind of just happens out of nowhere. And also if there's a pattern, like statistically, it's probably going to happen again. Yeah. Because again, we don't just do stuff. Yeah. So the, the world, it's kind of that assumption that the world is orderly and predictable. Um, mm -hmm. Just because... Just because we don't understand it at first blush, blush does not mean that we cannot understand it. It just means that while we may not understand the cause or effect, there is a cause and effect in play. And yes, I, we are not in a vacuum and everything is going to affect everything. I really like thinking of determinism from the perspective of programming. And no, I am not a programmer, but I, I, I did delve a little bit into understanding it. My understanding with programming is that there's a lot of if-then conditions that you you put in place. So if this thing occurs, oh, yeah. then that thing will happen following it. Mm -hmm. um, and if this other alternate thing occurs, then this other thing will happen instead, or nothing will. Happen. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that relates to um, just that orderliness and structure uh, that just. We, we live in an ecosystem and we're interacting with all sorts of things. There's constant stimulus and, and back and forth. So, no, absolutely. So I think we hit determinism pretty well, unless you, is, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? Um, no, not really. Not really. Well then uh, next up is that, uh, that good old empiricism. Okay. So, um, Empiricism, when I think empiricism, I think facts. Yes, I think in short, that would be a good way to yeah. put it. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, being objective, measuring, calculating, not guessing or assuming or kind of making decisions based off of kind of baseless opinions, for lack of a better term. So basically, it's it's objective. Um, we're, we're yes. talking about something where one person can look at, uh, look at some information and the other person can look at the same information and they can come to the same, uh, conclusion or, or, or an approximation of the same conclusion. Um, you know, it, obviously you, you've got a little bit of delineate, a uh, little bit of variability. Like, you know, if someone looks at something from one angle, then obviously the lighting might be a shade different. Yeah. 
but then all that is, is a kind of a decision tree, right? Or it's, you know, things just kind of are broken down, not as easy as they appear. Exactly. Um, but there's still kind of a logical way to group those things. It's kind of like when we're teaching social skills, like, or if we're teaching protesting, for example, right? Like we, we want to teach, you know, the ability to say no. We don't just kind of want blind compliance, for example. I think I'm going off track a no, little bit. You're right. Um, but but it's one of those, right? Like there are things that it's totally okay to say no to. If somebody, um, you know, is is trying to approach you in a way that you don't like it, you could say no, back off. Like I think that's yeah. okay instead of just kind of having to do it, you know, versus, you know, socially at school. If a teacher says like everybody get your backpacks, might not be the greatest time to say no. Um, unless, you know, you're having a... Yeah. a- Unless there are other circumstances yeah, involved. There, <laughs> yeah. Unless you really have to go to the bathroom badly or there's an emergency that's happening, obviously, that in that case. Um, or you didn't exactly. bring your backpack. There, there you go. So those are all perfect examples of, of empiricism. Um, I really like looking at empiricism because a lot of times we, we like to use stodgy, stodgy language. Uh, it's, it's not everyday language. Um, empiricism is simply the application of cause and effect um, and the individual observing it. So uh, a good example would be scrubbing your cup, you know, your, your, your coffee or hot cocoa cup. Like over time, we interact with our environment and we discover that if you use a certain amount of soap, and a certain amount of water of a certain temperature and the right type of cleaning implement, you're going to get it clean. And we don't really think about it that much. It's, it's things that we just kind of do. Um, well, empiricism is, is going, uh, is, is taking those steps and then maybe taking it a step further by saying, okay, well, how much is the minimum amount of soap that we might need? So that way we're being more efficient. What's the most effective, So it's a, it's a scientific based approach. Um, And sometimes we do that uh, in in everyday life. Sometimes we're like, okay, this isn't working. What's the next thing I try? Um, And it's the trial and error approach to, to solving things. Um, But then also retaining that information in a way that we can then pass on to somebody else, which I don't know. I think it makes it more fun. Yeah, and I think that actually leads us really well into experimentation where we're taking little bits of things and, you know, trying one by one, a little by little and see kind of what's working, what's not working. And um, is it okay oh, if yeah. we're moving on to experimentation? Yeah, that's All right, dimension number three, or sorry, attitude number three, experimentation. Um, yeah, and I think with that, it's, you know, we're kind of comparing things in a very controlled way to see kind of what is impacting what. So we're kind of manipulating one variable, for example, and then trying to see how that's impacting the dependent variable, or if it even yeah. is. Um, and then doing that for a while, and if it doesn't, okay, back to the drawing board, let's try something else. And I think that's what's so important about our field is, again, we are not just doing stuff, and we're not just doing the things that we do based off of you know opinion, bias, anecdotes. Um, we're doing it based off of real actual you know proven methods i will add Um, that we are human and so therefore we can be stuck within um within patterns and biases and those things and i i 
personally have commented and will continue to comment that, you know, especially with the neurodiversity uh, movement and how that's changing the way that um, certain behaviors are act, uh, are occurring, um, that mm-hmm. that is helping people within the neurological mean. I hate the term neurotypical because that implies that everybody who's neurotypical mm-hmm. is the same neurotype. Side, side note there. Yeah. Um, I like the neurological mean because that allows for neurodiversity to occur even within people within the mean. But um, side note mm-hmm. there, but uh, within the neurodiversity movement, like kind of understanding that one of my favorite little ones to harp on, eye contact with autistic kids. Um, eye contact mm-hmm. is not essential, uh, but orienting your body towards the speaker is. It's a body language thing. It's telling the speaker that you are listening through nonverbal expression. Um, and so while I never implement programs relating to eye contact unless the individual specifically asks for it. And when I say individual, I mean the client, not the client's parent, not the insurance provider, mm-hmm. not the school, it's the client. Um, instead, I, yeah. I tell them, we're not doing that program. What we are doing is body orientation. So if the person can look towards the speaker and preferably, generally in the direction of the person's face so that they can tell that the person is orienting. That mm-hmm. is a perfect example of um, experimentation and, in, and, and using of, of new information such as neurodiversity to help shape the programs that we use and implement just to support our clients. I think so. Yeah. As long as we're I guess, you know, tracking what we're doing and to see if we are actually exactly. making those changes. Um, you, you also briefly mentioned at the uh, when we first started talking about experimentation, dependent variable. Um, mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little bit more about the ver- dependent variable and independent variables and what, what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So the dependent variable is the thing that's kind of depending on the independent variable to change. So basically the dependent variable is the thing that we're trying to have some kind of impact on, some kind of change, some kind of effect. And the independent variable is kind of what we're doing to hopefully create that change and hopefully in the correct direction. Um, It doesn't always go that way. Um, But basically what we're doing is we're trying to see, is there a cause and is there an effect essentially? Or is there, you know, are we doing something differently? And then it results in a difference in, you know, behavior or, or skill acquisition, for example, in, in the applied kind of question. So, um, a good example of that is, uh, the, for a client of mine that I worked with a while ago, um, the dependent variable we wanted to, uh, affect is the client's ability to trace a dot to dot. Um, because that's a that's a pivotal behavior leading to writing the the skill of being able to pick up a writing utensil and write legible letters and draw legible shapes and those sorts of things and um, so we implemented some several different strategies uh, to see what would be most effective for encouraging that skill and the strategy that worked the best was turning it into a game where um, it was a shape mm-hmm. outlined dot to dot shape that the client would have to trace. There were squares and rectangles and squiggles and all sorts of fun things. And, uh, what I would do is place my marker in the center of the shape. And, uh, this client loved sheep, 
he, he, there was just one of those things that he had a chance to, to play with some sheep just before we started this program. And he was, he was talking about sheep oh, all fine. the time. It was really cute. And I was like, Hey, you're a, you're a shepherd and you need to keep the sheep inside the pen. Can you draw the fence before the sheep get out? And, 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 oh, and he just really raced cool. me to draw the shape and it was fun and there was some laughing. And then uh, when, when Halloween came around, sheep got turned into zombies and Frankenstein monsters and, and, and vampires and stuff like that. And it, it was very um, flexible. Um, but at the end mm-hmm. of uh, when he mastered out that program, and uh and and it was yeah. consistent to claw across two different settings and three different people um he was able to nice. independently draw shapes without any outlining and they looked really good um you did a ton uh, of pairing with that um and that's the fantastic part is it's like you're you're making this skill one reinforcing and two and applicable to real life the- Exactly. Even if real life is and, and then when we went into letter writing, instead of it being frustrating and, and, and painful, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because he already, or he or she, I'm not sure, um, but this client kind exactly. of had the prerequisite skills. Because like, if all letters are, is a series and of lines actually, and shapes. So if you that's can a do perfect those, transition into them. replication, which is the fourth attitude. Um, so that's where we need to be able to repeat the experiment over and over again. Um, I mentioned mastery, uh, that my client had to show mastery across two settings and three different people. Uh, and that, that is mm-hmm. very clearly a part of, of si- the scientific method. And this isn't exclusive to behavior analysis either. Um, the idea is that if we can replicate, then we can discover mistakes in our assumptions. Uh, we can self-correct. Uh, we can, we can try to identify other variables that, uh, might occur in different settings because um, there's different uh, independent variables that can affect the dependent variable. Yeah, and I think when we, I mean, as we should be, you know, replicating to make sure that what we're doing is actually working. Um, what am I trying to say? Sorry, my brain just farted briefly. Um, no, but basically you have to try this intervention again and again to ensure that it's actually producing those results. Like if you tried it with someone else, for example, um, and that's kind of, you know, why we have research, right? And we have multiple subjects um, usually is to ensure that the the strategies that we're using or whatever it is that we're trying to implement is in fact the reason for that change. So the change in that dependent variable yeah. we were talking about. Um, and not some other factors, because unfortunately, and fortunately as well, we are all human. And there are so many contingencies that we face every day. And so many, you know, kind of different things that can create changes in behavior as well. I mean, something as simple as like, you know, biology, like I haven't slept enough. So maybe my attending is lower today. And as a result, you know, I I scored lower on certain things that day. Um, So I think, you know, making sure that we're kind of always doing the same thing each time to, to make sure that we should continue to do it that way, to make sure that, you know, whatever strategies we're using um, are actually impacting behavior. Um, and also when, you know, we're writing our teaching procedures, for example, that everybody is following them the exact same way, because otherwise um, we're not going to achieve the results that we want to, or we won't know exactly. why we are achieving those results. Uh, and then that goes on to leads us to the next one, parsimony. Um, 
is such a fun word, word to say so and such I an do. annoying word when you don't know it. Uh, parsimony, uh, the, the way that I try recalling okay. it is uh, we parse it out, um, uh, which is, you know, maybe not a word that's used very often or a term, I should say. But the idea is it's uh, the simplest theory is likely the answer. Uh, so think of Occam's razor. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that the simplest uh, answer is probably the solution to your problem. Uh, and um, mm -hmm. one of my favorite examples of parsimony is I saw this fun little thing going around um, Facebook um, where somebody posted a picture of a fox sleeping on, on top of a, 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 a beautiful black gravestone. Somebody underneath commented mm -hmm. on, on it saying, oh, it's the spirit of the person who died returning to their grave to rest. It seems like a very complicated exactly. explanation and, and for that. And other people are like, well, maybe it's its spirit, the person's spirit animal and that sort of thing. And then somebody's like, guys, the gravestone is black. It's warm. Do you see the snow on the ground? It's probably the warmest spot out there. The, do the, the fox is sleeping on a warm spot. And, and that's, that's kind of a good example of parsimony yeah. of, of it's just like, okay, well, we could come up with all sorts of fun, fantastical explanations. And you know what? As somebody who is a huge sci-fi fantasy fan, who is the biggest nerd this side of anywhere, I love those fun explanations. We can, we can fight it out for that yeah. title, but I'm nerdy in other ways. But, you know, it's, it's, it's um, fun to have those, but I don't assume... Uh, it, it, because of, of parsimony, that that is really what's going on. I, I want uh, we want to kind of parse it down to find the simplest logical explanation. Um, now, will the simplest log logical explanation always be the answer? The answer is no, but it's a exactly. Start, yeah, but we have to basic. start there. Exactly, and actually, I feel like I watch a lot of medical TV shows. I don't know why. But they always say, if you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras. Um, and I think that's kind of a perfect example of parsimony is just, you know, what is what is something that makes it sound more often? Like, it's probably a horse. Like, how often do you see zebras around here? Case? It's probably not a zebra. Um, exactly, right? So it's based on that context. So it's kind of like, well, what is the most logical yeah, explanation here? That leads perfectly to philosophical doubt. Yes question everything in short um so yeah no and i think yeah philosophical doubt is something we need to have i mean as behavior scientists we never just kind of want to take something at face value we never want to kind of follow kind of the because i said so mindset right like like um in the water boy when he's like mama says blah 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 blah, blah. and like that's yeah. how he lived his life he never questioned anything and you can't grow if you don't question things. Mind you, of course, think a little parsimoniously, don't question so far about, you know, like explanations that don't really yeah. make that much sense, start small. Um, but also, you know, there are, you know, the principles of applied behavior analysis. And how does the field grow if we still follow kind of the same rules and the same procedures and everybody would be doing the same thing and we would yeah. never expand, right? We have to try something new or we could say, hey, I think there's a limitation to this. Let me test it out and see if there's another explanation and, and or if there's just, a way we can expand on this. That, that philosophical uh, doubt allows for testing of new conditions, for checking out new ways of doing things. Uh, my favorite 
my favorite way mm -hmm. of using this particular little one is um, when I first learned how to bake, I followed the recipe exactly. I followed it exactly to the T. Mm -hmm. um, and fantastic because I was typically baking pretty good things. Uh, but then I, mm -hmm. after I learned that I could replicate over and over and over again, I started asking myself questions like, is there, uh, could I change the, a certain amount of ingredients to make it the, the cookie taste this way versus this way? And what if I were to open the oven mm -hmm. halfway through baking and poke the cookies with a fork and see if that would cause different things to occur? And initially, I had friends and siblings who were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's experiment mm -hmm. experimentation. And like, but it's just fine the way it is. And I'm like, is it? That was, that, that was my philosophical doubt right there. Is it just fine the way it is? And exactly. Yeah, no, don't be complacent. Like, you know, follow the rules as they are. I mean, in terms of, you know, using evidence-based procedures, of course, that's super duper but important. Then I discovered but don't do it blindly. cookie recipe, the oatmeal cinnamon drop, which is delicious, by the way. Uh, I discovered that you know, if I were to mm -hmm. put just a little bit more butter in and I were to do that thing where I open the oven and I poke uh, poke it down, that you perfect, chewy mm -hmm. cookie. And so I perfected that. And like nice. this, this doesn't have I was able to replicate Were you it. able to replicate it? It was really, really good. And uh, oh, yeah. I then took that perfect chewy cookie and I made the perfect oatmeal raisin um, cinnamon drop ice cream sandwich. I'm sorry. You're making me hungry. This is uh, now I have to start experimenting again because I recently found out I'm gluten intolerant. So that just means I get to go back to the drawing board and see if I can recreate that same thing. Uh, but with gluten free flowers because now I'm hungry and I want a, a, a oatmeal cinnamon drop. So there you go. Well, if you need help with recipes, I am good with kind of troubleshooting kind of how to make everything fit um i live my life that's awesome. in in a very top chef kind of way um yes alton brown is yes, is, is uh one of my favorite anyway. people in the entire universe just so you know <laughs> yes all right um, name drop all righty do we have time for you know dimensions? what we could do is we could do one of two things we could keep going and go for a long episode or uh, we could stop this one and record a second one if you have time for recording. Yeah, I've got time. Yeah, I don't know. However you want to do it. Oh, I well, thought they yeah. were just going to be one episode. Um, I'm going, uh, what we're going yeah, for is, is uh, 30 to 45 minutes. In gotcha. And we're yeah, like we're about the, to hit so, 30. Um, we're going to go ahead and end the, okay. the uh, podcast here, but... Uh, for you guys' purposes, we're going yeah. to be hitting stop and then hitting record again. It's going to be fantastic. Um, for you, it can be however long you want your break to be. Uh, just so you guys know, um, before we end this podcast, this podcast is sponsored by ABA Desk because it's coming on here and offering her insights, Yay. and that's fantastic. So check out ABA Desk. It's um, fantastic software, great support. Um, it's made for bcbas by bcbas and it's bcb sorry one bcba <laughs> specifically 
Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We're just a tiny company if we're going to put um, it out there. And, and the other thing is, is that it's yeah. affordably priced. So teachers can use it. Parents can use it if you really so desire. It's okay to be... Um, to, to utilize those uh, attitudes of science towards uh, different things, especially if it's things that you really want to make some major changes in. So data-driven decisions Show me the data. are going to get That's you far. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and end this one Absolutely. and jump right into the next one. Uh, we'll talk to you guys in just a little bit. All right. Bye.